0: How's everybody doing uh, this afternoon? I hope well. It's great to see everybody. Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, my name is uh, Derek Hummel. I serve here as an associate pastor at Hope Church. We just arrived with me and my family here um, in May. And so we're moving and we're getting settled down and getting used to the area. And uh, now... uh, I'm up here preaching, and so I'm excited for this opportunity. Um, we s- spent, just a little bit of background, we spent the last 12 years serving as missionaries in Peru, and so uh, although I have preached a lot, I haven't done this in English in a while, so we'll see we'll see how this goes, but um, again, I'm just very uh, excited for this opportunity and just thank you uh, for allowing me to serve here at Hope Church. Um, so... We're going to just dive right into this message, okay? And so, as we've been talking here at Hope Church for the last um, several weeks, uh, we've been going through Matthew chapter 8, and we've been following this common theme through Matthew. Matthew, And we've been seeing these three themes pop up almost every week. And the first one is that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Uh, the second theme that we, we see is that we view God's kingdom as an upside-down kingdom. You know, sometimes uh, God's ways don't quite make sense to us, but he's God and we're not. Uh, and the third thing is that Jesus is the answer. This theme is popping up a lot as well. And today... Uh, we're starting in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to see, uh, just in eight verses, these three themes pop up again. Um, Matthew chapter 9 is continuing the proclamation of the power that Jesus has. Um, he holds authority because he is God. Um, Just a little bit of uh, background information. We're going to go just overview of chapter 8. Jesus performs a lot of miracles. Um, Just to name them, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Jesus heals the centurion's servant. Uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then it goes on to say that he drove out demons on the possessed. On many people. He healed many people. There's a chapter where it just says Jesus heals many. And so I don't know how many that is. It wasn't very a specific account. Um, but then it shows Jesus calming the storms and showing that he has authority over nature. And then he also healed, uh, more specifically, as we heard last week, Jesus healed two demon possessed men. And so now we're going to pick up uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Uh, We're going to pick up right there and it says Jesus stepped into a boat crossed over and came to his own town Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat When Jesus saw their faith he said to the man take heart son your sins are forgiven At this some of the teachers of the law said to themselves this fellow is blaspheming knowing their thoughts Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe And they praised God who had given such authority to man. So we're going to see here a story of four men carrying a paralytic to Jesus. Um, And it said in verse 2, Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. I find it interesting that Jesus wasn't specifically talking about the faith of the paralytic. He was talking about the faith of those four men. Um, And how did Jesus see their faith? Jesus saw their invisible faith through their works. And we're going to turn to Mark chapter 2 to see exactly what these men did for this paralytic. And so the first point I want to drive home today is that our invisible faith is seen through visible works. Again, our invisible faith is seen through visible works. Uh, Again, examining the works of these men in uh, Mark chapter 2, this is a synoptic gospel. So this is uh, the same Account recorded by Mark and we're going to see his point of view on this and it says a few days later when Jesus entered Capernaum the people heard that he had come home they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door and he preached the word to them some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man uh, carried by four of them since they could not get, to him, uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. And this is where it sort of comes right in seamlessly to Matthew. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. We're not really sure... Of the context of these men. Uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, if they were friends. Some commentators think they were they were friends. Other, we just don't know. Uh, if they were friends of the paralytic. But what we do know is they saw this man. They saw that he had this need. And they decided to take him to Jesus. And obviously uh, by this time. After uh, miracles. And after people are hearing the teachings of Jesus, he's gathered quite a following. And it says, so much of a following that there was no room left in the place that he was preaching, in the house that he was preaching. So they come to this guy, and let's sort of put ourselves in the scene. They come to this guy, and I don't know if they they knew him or not, but they pretty much said, let's pick him up. Let's go. Let's take him. Um, And they pick him up and they take him to the place where Jesus is. And we don't know how far they took him. But parents of younger kids, 9, 10, somewhere around there, if your child has fallen asleep on the couch or in the car and you've transferred them into the bed, they weigh a lot. (laughs) And those are children. This is a man who cannot move. Uh, from the waist down, and they are carrying him uh, for, I'm sure, a good way. Again, the place was loaded with people, so I can't even imagine about a, a house. I've been to, you know, graduation parties, open houses where there's just a lot of people going in, revolving door of, he- of people, and... um there were so many people, they couldn't even get to the door to yell, Jesus! There were so many people that the only logical explanation, get, or logical solution to get close to Jesus is to take him to the roof? Um, and that's what they did. And I don't know if they went to the roof uh By stairs, some commentary said that the first-century houses had uh, ladders. Um, Again, I see great difficulty in lifting up a paralytic man. Even if it was stairs, it's quite the undertaking. A ladder, I'm not sure how they did it, but they did. Um, And so once they get to the roof... They need to open a hole. Now, I want to put some context here uh, that digging a hole in the roof of the house was not destruction of property because these first century homes uh, that were, uh, had sort of tiles or stones or clay that were meant to be removed and put back on. And so they just found this area and dug it out. But it was still uh, sort of a tedious task. They had to get down on all fours. They had to get their hands dirty, roll up their sleeves. I'm sure they got dirt under their fingernails. I I hate that. (laughs) They got this hole open, and once they have the hole open, they couldn't just grab the man and just toss him down. There you go, good luck. (laughs) They had to lower him down. And I don't know how how many feet of rope it took, but I'm sure they just don't travel with, I do 40, 50 feet of rope with them. So they had to go find rope. They had to be proactive. And so they uh, find this rope and they lower him down and they have to lower them down gently. And if you've ever lowered something down slowly, sometimes the rope can slip. You can get rope burn. For them to bring this person to the feet of Jesus, it took work. It took energy. It took them being proactive to remove all these obstacles. Now let's imagine being in the crowd. Um, These men, they, they made a scene. Can you imagine just being in the house? You're packed like sardines and then all of a sudden like dirt starts falling on your head. You look up, and there's a hole that's starting to open up. Um, All of a sudden, you see a couple heads poking in, sort of measuring. Do we need to make it bigger? Um, I have ADD. That would have distracted me. (laughs) I would have totally, you know, Jesus was a great preacher, great, great teacher. And I'm sure if I would have been in the audience, I just would have been like this. <laughs> but why did these men do this? Over the summer, we talked about living on a mission and how the gospel should transform our mind, our eyes, our hands, and our hearts. These four men were a, are a great example of what it looks like to live on a mission. Using their hands seeing the needs with their eyes being moved to compassion to do something about it with their hearts they were living on a mission and wanted to make an impact for the kingdom of God they believed that if they could get this guy to the feet of Jesus something will happen they didn't know what but something would happen All of that is the faith that I was referring to, that that Jesus was referring to in verse 2. Again, it said, um, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Um... Going back to our themes in Matthew, these four men knew that Jesus is the answer. They knew that. They saw this guy in a hopeless situation and in, with a need that no one else could meet except for Jesus. Jesus was the answer. Is our faith equally evident? If we realize that Jesus is the answer, what are some of the obstacles that we need to remove to spend more time at the feet of Jesus? I'm sure we could, we could go on the list and, uh, and, and name a lot. And we're going to be talking more about that, don't worry. <laughs> but uh, don't forget that our invisible faith is seen through our visible works let's move on to verse 3 at this some of the teachers of the law said to themselves this fellow is blaspheming knowing their thoughts jesus said why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts so if our invisible faith is seen by our works the second point I want to make is that our invisible unbelief is known by God. The teachers of the law, uh, uh, there's another name for them uh, that we see in different translations. It's the scribes, you know? And I want to give you guys a little bit of background uh, of who these scribes were. Scribes were often described as teachers of the law holding some authority over the religious, religious lives of the everyday Jewish people. They were considered honored professionals whose modern-day equivalents would be judges or lawyers. They were generally the most educated men in the nation and as such became influential. In fact, since writing was practiced only by those with a certain level of intelligence, scribes were often considered wise men. They knew the scriptures very well and probably had it memorized. Um, they knew all the prophecies, yet they had the Messiah right in front of them and they could not recognize that Jesus is Lord. Again, we see that theme right, uh, creeping through Matthew. That Jesus is Lord. Or another way to put that is that Jesus has the authority. They were very threatened by Jesus' message. You may have heard this phrase a couple times here at Hope Church, but the gospel is not about humility. Is, or the gospel is about humility, and I'm checking if you guys are paying attention. The gospel is about humility and sacrifice, not comfort, and privilege. The scribes were so in love with their position they could not believe that Jesus is Lord. It's important to realize that these men are not being condemned for simple skepticism because uh, later on in in the Gospels, you'll see that their encounters uh, with Jesus are intentionally hardened and unfair. Um, but I want to point out that there is a difference between skepticism and unbelief. Skepticism should lead us to God by asking honest questions. Unbelief always leads to sin. If there are things about God, Jesus, the Bible that you're struggling with, that's great, that's fine. Welcome aboard. Um, But... Dig in, investigate, ask honest questions. Um, God God can handle those. He can handle those. If you need help, if you don't know who to turn to, come to one of the the staff, Pastor Rob, Pastor Will, myself, and we'll help you. Um, Maybe you identify with the scribes and you're dealing with unbelief and sin. You just refuse to recognize that Jesus is Lord and has authority over your life. Um, Here's a few thoughts on on, on scribes, and maybe we can identify with this uh, in some way. Maybe not. But scribes could not admit their own sin, so instead they worked to impress everyone with their righteousness. Uh, That's called hypocrisy. Um, It's like... Painting, uh, putting a red coat of paint on an apple. Another, another way of saying it is putting lipstick on a pig. Um, the scribes protected their place of power and comfort, and, and those things really quickly became an idol. And when things become idols, many times we will hurt others to hold on to them. you get defensive about the idea of, of using your time or your talents and resources for the advancement of the gospel? If so, those could be an idol. Just for example, um, serving here at the church, uh, we need people. We need people to make Hope Church happen. We'd love to have you on board obviously giving are you investing your money into eternal eternity I've heard it talked about getting an eternal ROI when you tithe Um, scribes could never admit when they were wrong when Jesus pointed out their faults or mistakes they didn't consider what he said instead they became furious what was your reaction the last time someone confronted you of your sin and love? Did you get mad, upset? That's called pride. Scribes think that everyone else is the problem. That's also pride. I don't know if this, that, I'm sure it's never happened to you. Uh, but in a, in a message, um, you're hearing a message and all of a sudden someone else pops. Oh, this would be a great message for them to hear. I guess I'm the only one. Uh, Beware if these are some of the attitudes that you're having. If you're having these attitudes of the scribes. Because, again, our invisible unbelief is known by God. And that's sin. Let's move on. Verse 5, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Um, And uh, could you imagine being one of those four men when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven? I, I would have a hard time with that. Like, that's it? That's it? Uh, we, we did all that work for him to say, your sins are forgiven? And obviously, Jesus uh, did this not at, pointed at those four men, but he was sort of doing it to sort of uh, start something with the Pharisees and f- with the scribes. Um, because we're gonna see in here, my third point is that God's visible awesomeness is on display yet again. We've just we've seen it all through chapter eight. We're seeing it starting out chapter nine that His visible awesomeness is on display yet again. And so um, I was I. Would, I I've always been confused or struggled with this passage, like why did he do this, what does this mean? And I, saw, I read a great commentary uh, by Matthew uh, Poole, who is an English theologian from the 1600s. And he saw six reasons why Jesus dealt with man's sin first. And I'm going to sort of paraphr- paraphrase what he wrote here. The first reason is because sin is the root from which all our evil comes from. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 21 and 22 says For death came through a man The resurrection of the dead uh, Comes also through a man For as in Adam all to die So Christ All will be made alive Again Jesus is the answer To the things that we don't have an answer to On our own we don't have an answer for sin he saw us in our state and sent himself to be a sacrifice to take all our sins. The second uh, reason is to show that forgiveness is more important than bodily healing. In light of eternity, our time on earth is short. Um, James says that we're just like a vapor. We're here, and we're gone. But our souls are eternal. The third thing he wrote is to show the most important thing that Jesus came to do was to deal deal with sin. This is his mission in Luke 19, 10. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The fourth thing is to show that when a man's sins are forgiven, he becomes a son of God. When he responded to um uh, when he he talked to the paralytic the first time he says son son your sins are forgiven when when we uh ask Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life we become his sons or daughters the fifth thing is to show that the response to faith is the forgiveness of sin. And the sixth thing is uh, reason is to begin an important conversation with the scribes and Pharisees. Part of Jesus' strategy here is to begin with a claim that is easier to make, since it's hard to test, the authority to forgive sins. I could go around right here saying, "Your sins are forgiven." And you guys can't prove that. Your sons are forgiven. Just sort of passing them out. You're like, forgiveness of sins. <laughs> but then he goes on, and, uh, and, and actually it sort of reminded me of um, the 1986 cinematic masterpiece Top Gun. <laughs> where And I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. Uh, But the one commander, uh, Stinger, uh, the bald guy, who says to Maverick, your mouth is writing checks that your body can't cash. And pretty much that's what the Pharisees are thinking. (laughs) He's, you can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Um. But then Jesus proved his power and authority over sin by making a fulfilling claim to which, uh, a claim which is impossible to falsify. He says, all right, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Um, I'll just read it again. Your sins are forgi- uh which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And you know what happens? Exactly that. He gets up. He walks out the door with the mat under his arms. Now, um... We can, we can hear that and think, wow, that's pretty cool. But let's think about what happens there. This guy goes from comp- being completely immobile to just strolling out the door. I go to sleep for eight hours at night. I wake up, and I have to sort of make sure that my feet are under me, my balance, and that I, everything's working before I take my first step. Okay? This man was paralyzed. Yet, um, uh, have you seen the, the anybody with paralyzed legs before? They're very skinny. There's no muscle. There's atrophy, weak, pretty much useless. And all of a sudden, he's walking. He had muscle had to have grown instantly. No physical therapy needed. Uh, right before I got, uh, me and my wife got married, her father had an accident, and without going into like, too much detail, he parked his car, the car rolled backwards, and he pretty much ran himself over, causing his hip to come out. And so he got it put in. Thankfully, no broken bones, nothing. He got it put in. But he had to be immobile for several days. Weeks, I think a few months, he had to be immobile. He said the worst part of the whole thing was physical therapy. The accident was bad, but physical therapy was awful. This guy, who was paralyzed for we don't know how long, just gets up and walks, strolls out the door, the crowd who had witnessed this healing gave glory to God in response to Jesus' display of power. Once again, God's visible awesomeness is on display yet again. All right, let's wrap this up, okay? I don't know why, I don't know why I'm talking to you guys like you have anything to do with wrapping this up. But... Um, but we're, Thank you for participating. <laughs> but who do you identify with the most? Do you identify with the paralytic who needs his sins to forgive, uh, sins forgiven? Remember, Jesus is the only answer for that. His o- once again, the only person who could take care of that problem. Is Jesus and the same thing is with our sins 2,000 years ago he died on the cross he took our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we need to make him the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life do you identify with the scribes maybe you're here and you know the church game you know how to say the right things how to look a certain way how to act when you're here but does your disbelief keep you from growing in your spiritual life? They had idols of their authority and power and position. And maybe there's some, authority, uh, some, some idols in your life right now. What's keeping you from placing Jesus as Lord of your life? And giving him the authority over your life. And then we have the example of these four men who are very proactive in getting people to the feet of Christ, in making a difference in the kingdom of God. These four men who are living on a mission, who use their time, who use their talents who use their resources to make an impact to the kingdom of God. We're going to close now and we're just going to have a few moments to for you guys to just sit and think and talk one on one with God and ask him to meet us to meet you where you are and that he can deal with your heart tonight. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now. Lord, we thank you for this account. We thank you, Lord, for that you're Lord. We thank you, Lord, that um, your ways aren't our ways. And that it might seem upside down for us, Lord, but Father, thankfully, you're in control. And Lord, help us to realize that you are the answer. And Father, sometimes we might pray for things, and the answers we get aren't what we necessarily want. But Lord, we definitely trust that you're going to give us what we need. Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.